So great to be with you here at Whiting Christian Church again, and uh, really love this church, love the opportunity to, to come and be here. Mike and I have uh, done a lot of things over the years. We were uh, reminiscing this summer that we've gone on a lot of trips together. We've gone to Uganda, to Nepal, to Myanmar. Last year, we took a group of uh, students, including a couple that you have here, Jed and Sammy, to Los Angeles on a really crazy trip. Uh, but uh, that was fun. I want to talk to you this morning, though, uh, trying to keep in the series that Mike is developing on the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes, and the title of the message is Choice Over Chance. So chance, how do we understand things like that? I was watching the uh, weather report on the news last night, and the guy said there was a 50-50 chance of it being cloudy, on Monday for the big eclipse day. Uh, I've only really experienced one other eclipse um, event like this in my lifetime that I remember back, I think it was in the 70s, and I was living in Seattle. And guess what? It was cloudy that day. Big surprise. It got dark, but uh, couldn't see anything on the sun. So choice over chance. Sometimes we have to make choices but we don't always know where they will lead. I want to kind of give you my take on the book of Ecclesiastes. I know uh, Pastor Mike's been talking about this a little bit, but um, just so you, a couple things to, to keep in mind because they will really help you understand uh, this text. Ecclesiastes has been a, a favorite target book for critics of the Bible. So people that, are, that want to criticize the Bible and debunk the truth of the Bible and, and cast it aside, they, sometimes they really go after the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me give you three groups that do this. There are more than three, but three very important ones. Atheists will look at the book of Ecclesiastes because it contains passages in the book that seem to indicate or deny even that there is no life after death if you don't read them carefully. Or hedonists, these are the people who want to have fun all the time because the book of Ecclesiastes seems to open the door to the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die philosophy of life. How should we live? Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. Hedonists. Or third, the skeptics, because the book comes across with kind of a cynical, doubting tone, almost from the very beginning. Now, all of this misses the main purpose of the book. And uh, I might mention all three of those things. The atheist complaint, the hedonists, the skeptics. They're all in chapter 9 in the passage that Mike assigned to me. Thank you, Mike. Uh, But the main purpose of the book is to examine secular wisdom and knowledge apart from God. And he uses a very key phrase here that if you, if you can understand this, it'll really help you understand the book. He talks about things being under the sun. Okay, now understand for him, he didn't have the vast knowledge of our universe that we might have, that we take for granted of 
the sun with planets rotating around it and moon and all those things. He, he had the ancient view that the sun came up in the east every day, traveled across the sky and went down in the west. And he would believe that above that was where heaven was, where God was. So do you understand by definition under the sun is where God not the home of God, it's the home of you and me, of men, under the sun. So when he uses that phrase, he, and he's going to use it several times in this chapter, when he says things under the sun, he's not talking about everything. He's not talking about the things of God. He's not saying there is no God. He's just talking about the things of men and women. So this is really an examination of human thinking and activity apart from God. At the beginning of the book, in chapter 2, he says, I denied myself nothing. In his investigative stuff, I'm going to look at all of human wisdom and human activity. I didn't hold back on anything. In the bottom line, and I assume that the author of this book is Solomon, it doesn't really say that, but uh, it implies it, that old King Solomon, at the end of his life, He's writing this book, and he's able to say, well, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen that, I tried that, I thought that, I heard that, I investigated that, I've done it all. I denied myself nothing. So let's look at chapter 9, and we'll dig in a little bit here. Uh, we'll have the words up on the screen if you want to uh, follow along with me here. Chapter 9, so I reflected on all all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. See the word there? In our, our realm where we live under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens, and don't miss this, where? Under the sun doesn't really say that there's no more existence for the dead, but they're not involved in things under the sun. So he says, go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, this would be very luxurious, uh, always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. He doesn't know that exactly, by the way. He's guessing a little bit here, right? I mean, he hasn't been to the realm of the dead yet. He, if he could come back now, he would share some of that a little bit more uh, legitimately. Verse 11, I have seen something else under the sun. Okay, so observation time. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. May God bless the reading of his word. So let's see what we can find in this for our lives. Ecclesiastes the, is the name given to the author. The, uh, he doesn't give a name to himself. He says he's the son of King David living in Jerusalem. But the, the name that's used is a Hebrew word that we translate Ecclesiastes, the one in charge of the assembly. And he's been called the gentle cynic. There's some things here. Anybody here a cynic? Would you know any cynics? Some of you are too cynical to put your hands up, I think. I... He says, a live dog is better off than a dead lion. What? He says, get this one. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I'll just, I'm not going to interpret that for you. You can figure that one out. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, well, they're not totally meaningless if I get to enjoy them with my wife, right? And then he says, and we'll come back to this one, the race is not to the swift. What? That's pretty cynical. Don't the, the, doesn't the fastest runner always win the race? Well, these words come from a man who has keenly observed all manner of human life and experience. He sees that what happens, what happens, this is what he's seen. It's not always logical or linear. It doesn't always turn out the way we expect it to or that it should. Some things in life just don't make sense. This is true of human tragedy. Like, why, why would the tragedy come to you? But it's also true of human good fortune. Why does that person inherit a whole bunch of money they didn't know about or, or come into an incredibly blessed thing that they didn't expect and haven't deserved? So there's a lot in this text. I, I'm going to lift up three verses for you, three, because I need three points to be a legitimate sermon. So um, and I'll have a poem at the end. So um, for those of you who don't know, that's the old joke, sermons, three points in a poem. Um, first, our lives are in God's hands. 
Our lives are in God's hands. Look at this verse, verse 1. So I reflected on, the, on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. So I'm going to maybe go down a rabbit hole just a little bit here. And I want to talk about something that seems to be very popular, especially among people in the millennial generation today. The common saying is that everything happens for a reason. Have any of you ever heard anyone say that? Everything happens for a reason. This is known as um, E-H-F-A-R-F-R, and uh, uh, millennial people even get tattoos of this. Uh, I have one, but I can't show it to you. No, I, I'm, I'm, I would never tattoo this on myself, okay? Because this idea, everything happens for a reason, really, there's sort of two areas it comes from. One is atheistic science that doesn't believe in God at all, that everything is a chemical reaction and that everything happens for a reason because it's caused by earlier chemical reactions which lead to later chemical reactions. And the only problem we have in understanding this is that we, we're too limited in our perspective. We can't figure it all out. We're not smart enough. Everything happens for a reason, and everything is inevitable. We can't control or change anything. But another way of understanding this comes from a misunderstanding of Scripture, and that says that God orchestrates all things. And what is unsaid, if you, if you hear somebody say it this way, everything happens for a reason, from a Christian perspective, what they really want to say is, Everything happens for a good reason, right? Freedom is an illusion. If there is a divine reality outside of our material world, under the sun, Ecclesiastes would say, if there is a divine reality, God, the only exceptions to that atheistic view that it's all me mechanical, it's all chemical reactions, are when God deliberately intervenes and manipulates the forces of nature. Now, I know that's pretty heavy stuff, but in other words, these two choices say that human tragedy is either the result of inevitable mechanical processes or intentional, intentional actions by God. Now, this really hit me a few years ago. I was speaking at a conference in California at uh, Pepperdine University, actually, and we had, I gave my presentation, and it was kind of a panel discussion afterwards, and there was a woman there uh, in a, a wheelchair, and uh, she told a story. Our conversation, our questions kind of went this direction. She told a story in which she explained why she was in the wheelchair, and the reason was that about 30 years earlier, she was in a car with her husband and her, I think it was two or three daughters, two, at least two, maybe three daughters. And they had a, a serious car accident. And the husband and the daughters were all killed and she ended up in a wheelchair. Well, her husband was the pastor of the church. 
And what she said was a little bit later, after she had come home from the hospital, she knew she was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, and she's in the parsonage. Oh, that's not going to work, is it? Your husband's no longer the pastor, he's dead. So one of the elders and his wife had come over to negotiate this transition with her, and they, she admitted they'd been very kind to her. But in a, in a real moment, this other woman, the wife of the elder, she said to her privately, her husband had stepped out for a minute, she said, what did you do? In other words, what did you do to cause this? Everything happens for a reason. You must have done something. God is punishing you. Well, let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you're in a position to offer words of comfort to a grieving person, let me suggest three things you might say. So someone's just had their their family killed and you're in a wheelchair. Here's a couple of pieces of advice. What might you say? Number one, God still loves you and so do I. Or number two, hey, don't try to figure this out. Don't try to figure out a reason for this terrible thing. Your head will explode. Or third, it's okay to be sad because that person you love was a wonderful person and he's gone to be with Jesus now, and I miss him too. There's one other thing I'm always tempted to say, I usually don't, uh, and that's this, the people who tell you this is for the best and that will good, come, good will come from it are idiots. Now, you know, you can't really say stuff like that. But it's the wrong time to say anything. Like, hey, that might be a little bit true. Just ignore those people. And Ecclesiastes says, the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. And sometimes we just have to, to lean on that and live with that. So secondly, um, this is verse 3. He says that people's hearts are full of evil. To quote the verse again, this is the evil, <clears throat> this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. I don't know if anybody is old enough to remember the old radio show, The Shadow, but you've probably heard the the uh, little bumper on it. The, the Shadow was this radio program back in the 30s, and it always began with this very dramatic statement, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow knows. And the show would always show how smart he was, almost having supernatural knowledge. Truly, though, God alone fully knows the evil in anyone's heart. But the author has seen the evidence. Ecclesiastes, the author, I mean, he can't, he wasn't some psychic that could look into your heart and see what evil lurked there. Only God can do that. But he saw plenty of evidence. 
His stark conclusion then is the hearts of people are full of evil. And the Bible says stuff like that a lot. In one of the earliest times, the book of Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, it says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is the justification for the flood of Noah that wipes out most of humankind. And yet, it wasn't everyone. Noah, he looked on Noah's heart. He saw some good there. Noah did some good things. He wasn't worried about evil all the time. Oh, and his sons helped. Oh, and they had wives. There were eight of them. Yes, there are many evil people out there. Many people who think only of themselves and their pleasure. They have no time for God, no time for anyone but themselves. And as the author says, the hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. The old bumper sticker said, life is hard, then you die. There actually was another version of that I can't say from the pulpit. A cynical view, though, one that the author expresses really here, is that life is pointless and futile. He says repeatedly in the beginning of the book, all is vanity and chasing after the wind. But just remember, those are his observations of what he sees under the sun. So third point, time and chance come to all, really getting to the heart of the topic. In verse 11, he says this, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not always to the swift, the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to all of them. And the irony in this verse is striking. What we mean by irony is not what you expect. The poet here is saying something we all know. It may be frustrating or it may be comforting. His point is that the winners in life's games are not always the most obvious players. So the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. Classic story, the story, the parab- or the uh, uh, story of the tortoise and the hare, or we just, I mean, just a week or so ago, you saw Usain Bolt, the greatest runner of his generation, pull up lame in a race and not win. Maybe he was the fastest runner. He didn't win that race. He says the biggest army doesn't always win the war. Now, I'm, I'm no expert on this. Not, I have not served in the military, have great respect for it, but I Watched, uh, again, the Ken Burns thing on the Civil War, the PBS special on uh, the Civil War that he did earlier back in the 90s. And one of the things that was obvious there was the Union armies were almost always way bigger, but they had incompetent generals. The strongest army didn't always win. He says, wisdom doesn't buy bread. If you think you're wise, try that at Hy-Vee. Uh, I've got some bread here, and I'm just taking it because I'm pretty wise. It doesn't work that way. He says that wealth and riches are not always held by the smartest people. I've served in a couple of churches that had some incredibly wealthy people, very 
very wealthy people. Um, and they aren't always the smartest people, I'm just telling you. They're just completely foolish on things. And he says the most educated people are not always the most respected in the community. Yeah, talk to any public school teacher and they will confirm that to you. So there's a certain unpredictability to life from our perspective. There may even be a certain unfairness to life from our perspective. The question of the Old Testament prophets was, well, why do the good people suffer and the bad people prosper? And Jesus answered it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Around here, you, you may know who owns certain farms, and man, that guy is a moral sleazeball. That guy right over there, though, he is a good, God-fearing churchman, patriotic American. I like, he, but when it rains, don't both fields get, get to rain? God loves all his children. God does not desire for any of them to suffer, but the ways and understandings of God are hidden to us. So from our perspective, time and chance happen to us all. We do not determine the timing of, it, uh, of the events that even devastate our lives or that might enrich them beyond measure. When I was in high school um, and played a little bit of football, I was playing on the JV team. I was a sophomore. And uh, my high school in Idaho, uh, there weren't that many high schools in Idaho. I'm just telling you. There were like 20 in the whole state in those days. And there weren't very many big ones. But my high school was in a town outside of Boise. We had about eight, 900 students and we were in a league, and we played all the Boise high schools that all had about 2,000 students. That's just, there wasn't anybody else to play because we were the only high school of our size. And so they had uh, started a new high school in those days, a Boise called Capital High School, Capital Eagles. And they just were dominant. I mean, they were really good in all the sports. And so um, the year before, they had, I think, beaten my high school by, it's like 50 to zero. Just killed them. So that year, my, my dad liked to go to these high school games, and so he and I were going to go to the varsity game that Friday night. It was in Boise. We drove over there, and our team was actually good that year, and we beat, the Caldwell Cougars beat the Capitol Eagles. It's like 28 to 10. We beat them. They were the number one team in the state. And my dad made a very profound statement in the car on the way back, you know, that kind of awkward teenager dad situation where you don't know what to talk about. And my dad just said, I guess that's why they play those games. The result was not inevitable. They, the Capitol High School should have won. They were by far the better team, but they didn't. Time and chance happen to all of us. There's an old children's rhyme that goes, this is the poem part, by the way. 
engine engine number nine going down Chicago line, if the train goes off the tracks, will I get my money back? Yes, no, maybe so. Yes, no, maybe so. That verse, that little verse captures it for a lot of people. The future, don't know. Yes, no, maybe so. Better stash groceries in the basement. You know, the 20-year freeze-dried stuff, just in case. And we end up with what I call sometimes an Eeyore mentality. Y'all know who Eeyore is? I was speaking about this one time in the Philippines, and I, I showed Eeyore, and they're all like, what? I don't know who that is. I said, well, I didn't mean to throw you a curveball there. They're like, what? Curveball? I can't get away from these American references, you know. But So, Eeyore. Here, here's Eeyore. Here's some famous statements from Eeyore, okay? I'll try to do the Eeyore voice, so forgive me ahead of time. After all, what are birthdays? Here today and gone tomorrow. Or how about this one? It'll rain soon, see if it doesn't. Or another season, here's Eeyore. It's snowing still and freezing. However, we haven't had an earthquake lately. <laughs> or, you know, Eeyore used to like to kind of swim in the, or float in the, the stream. He says, when stuck in the river, it's best to dive and swim to the bank yourself before someone drops a large stone on your chest in an attempt to hoosh you there. I've met a lot of Eeyore Christians. I've met a lot of Eeyore Christians who expect the worst all the time. And you can read Ecclesiastes and kind of get that flavor, but then it's like, enjoy life too. This is under the sun, and God is still in control. You don't need to give up. Let me pray. Lord God, life throws many things at us we do not understand. The world tells us just to eat, drink, and be merry, to party hard, to live for self, to curse God and die. Despite all these unfair things, though you never stop loving us, your love for us is never failing, never ending. And so thank you, Lord. Calm and comfort our hearts when troubles come. For nobody knows those troubles like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.